I have told my husband that I don't have many losses left in me. I can't yeah. keep doing it. Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am so glad that you are here. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad that you have found me. If you have been with me before, a huge welcome back to you. This podcast is a place, it's a platform where I have been spreading awareness, connecting and supporting those that have experienced the struggles of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We talk about feeling alone, isolated, the grief and where to find support. I hold space here where professionals share how they can support you and those that have personally have experienced infertility or loss can share their stories to connect and give support to others. Your healing and happiness is very important to me. My listeners and clients have shared that they feel like they are not sure what to do. Their relationships are hard. They're feeling alone and isolated, feeling like no one understands and their needs are not being heard. I hear you. I see you. And we talk about them. We're spreading awareness and giving you a voice. If hope and healing is what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. Hello, Shauna. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am so glad that you have some time today to, to chat a little bit, share a little bit of your story and us to just really connect and help others that are kind of on the similar journey uh, that you have been on. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad because I don't even know. We just kind of connected and don't really know your whole story in detail. So um, I, I'm excited to learn about it and learn how we can help others on their journey. So before we talk about all of that, if you can share with the listeners, who is this beautiful woman with this beautiful hair that I see in front of me named Shauna? (laughs) Who is this beautiful woman? Oh, well, I wear many hats. I am a wife and I am a mother. We have a blended family. Um, I have three sons from my first marriage, and I have two stepsons from my husband's first marriage um, that are grown. We have my three at home, and then we have two adult stepsons. Um, and I am finishing up my graduate degree and decided that I want to switch from the clinical field to life coaching. So I'm going to be starting school to get accredited to launch a life coaching business. Cool, cool. So hobbies, interests, what are all of those? Or is there time for any of those things? Um, I try to make time for it. Okay, good, um, good. Definitely. Um, football, love watching football. And I love reading. And my husband and I have our cooking shows. We're cooking show junkies. So we like to watch those in the evening after kids go to bed. And we do love to cook together, so... Nice. Nice. What's your favorite things to cook? 
Um, anything that he makes. <laughs> I love it. Yay. Yes. I usually do all the cooking. So when he's actually home and able to cook, I love it. And he likes to um, smoke things on, um, in the smoker and he'll do seafood boils and he grills and it's all just so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always better. Always my opinion tastes better when someone else is cooking, you know, Absolutely. I love whatever it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I asked that question because I'm not much of, I wouldn't consider myself a good cook. And actually my husband probably does more cooking than I do. So mm -hmm. um, I love when people cook because it's not my, it's not my uh, talent. That's for sure. <laughs> so anyway, so I do know from our brief um, conversation that we have, you know, and that you indicated you have a blended family. Um, and so obviously um, we're talking. And so there is more children that you would like and that you I know you have experienced um, some loss and some struggles there. So if you would share with us kind of what's been going on, you know, with all of that. Well, um, before we even got married, we had discussed that we wanted more children. Um, it was just something that we expected we would be able to do because when he had his sons, he had no complications. Um, when I had my sons, there were no complications. Um, and so I think obviously we're a little older than when we had our children. He certainly is. Um, it's been over 20 years since he's had a child. Um, okay we knew it was a possibility that it could be difficult for us, but we didn't go into it expecting for it to be that way. Sure. Um, but that was something that we had talked about and discussed before we even got married, that it was important to us. And we really wanted to have a child together. Mm -hmm. um, just because in our previous experiences with our first spouse, it just wasn't <clears throat> the magical experience that everybody gets to have because we weren't in happy marriages. And in my situation, I didn't have a spouse who was involved at all. He was very hands-off and not present. And um, my husband, it was sort of the opposite. His um, ex-wife really wouldn't let him be involved. And he didn't really get to have a bonding experience. Um, and so we really just wanted to have that opportunity to do this with somebody that we love, share the experience with somebody else. And that was just really important to us. So we started, we were married in 2019 and we started trying um, at the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, right out the gate, we got pregnant and we were really excited about that. Um, and I believe it was only like maybe a week or so Afterwards, um, I started bleeding. And so I um, went to the hospital and they determined that I was having a miscarriage. And which was my first experience with that. So I didn't know what to expect. Sure. And when they told me that I had a miscarriage, I just sort of went through the steps of the process and um, didn't realize that things were unusual because I hadn't experienced it before. They didn't really tell me what to expect necessarily. And so I bled for a lot longer than I expected and a lot longer than would be normal with such an early pregnancy, but I didn't mm -hmm. think much of it because they just hadn't experienced it before. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so a few weeks went by and um, I started having um, pain, but I have a history of kidney stones. Um, I started getting them when I was 19 years old. And so it felt exactly like a kidney stone. And um, I thought, wow, what a month am I having? I you know, had a miscarriage and now I've got a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. And um, anybody who's had kidney stones, they know that you just wait them out for the most part. You wait them out for a while and see if you can pass them on your own. So that's what I was doing. And I did that to a point that um, by the time I let my husband take me to the hospital, um, I was so low on blood that I was about to need a blood transfusion. Oh, wow. And the doctors just called me a mystery. They kept saying all night I was in the emergency room and they just kept coming back in and they're like, none of this seems to make sense. So they diagnosed me with a kidney stone. They gave me pain medication for it. And then they came back in and said, you've lost an unusual amount of blood since the last time you were here for the miscarriage. Um, And I said, well, you know, I I bled more than I thought I was going to for this, but I didn't think it was that significant. And so they just really couldn't figure out what was going on. They didn't believe it was ectopic because they were able to push on my stomach and I wasn't, you know, writhing in pain. That's because they gave me pain medication. Mm. So they ended up sending me home actually that night. Oh, wow. And yeah. And told me to come back in the morning for an ultrasound because they wanted to figure out what was going on. And so I went home, um, got a couple of hours of sleep, which was the first that I'd had in a few days and came back in and we did the ultrasound. And sure enough, there was my whole abdomen was full of blood and they determined that I had had an ectopic rupture. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that that was what was really going on all along. Mm. So they rushed me to another hospital and I had emergency surgery and thankfully everything ended up being okay. I was okay. I did have to end up having a blood transfusion to be able to leave the hospital, but other than that, everything went okay. Um, And then they told me as far as moving forward in terms of having a child that I would want to wait a few months because my blood levels were so low, but I ended up getting pregnant um, unintentionally about a month or so later, and my body just wasn't ready for it. And Mm -hmm. I ended up um, miscarrying instantly as soon as I found out it was within a day or two. And um, after that, we waited a long time. We waited Mm -hmm. probably um, well, it was almost a year, so it wasn't that long, but it was almost a year. And we, um, got pregnant again. Every time getting pregnant doesn't seem to be our problem. It's the staying pregnant part. And this time everything was progressing normally. And when we went in, when we went in for our first ultrasound, they weren't able to detect a heartbeat. Mm. And so, yeah. And so we were pretty devastated with that one, Um, probably more than even the other two. Um, And then we had to go through the awful process of deciding how we wanted to remove the baby because my body wasn't doing what it was supposed to naturally. So we had to make a decision about that. And um, because we had a trip coming up within a few days, we didn't want anything to happen while we were away. Sure, Um, Sure. 
So I went ahead and took the medication to induce labor at home. And that was quite a process. It took days for it to take effect. And I was able to eventually deliver at home. And since then, we have um, not tried again for another child. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of a lot of trauma, a lot of heartache, mm-hmm. a lot of medical stuff. Yeah. I wasn't sure how much wow. detail you wanted to go into each of no. you. I'll just lay it all out there yeah. first and you can unpack it a little more if you want. But yeah, sure. And we are at a place where we're wanting to try again. Are you? Okay. We still want to expand our family. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So has there been anything figured out at all of, you know, like you had indicated, you could get pregnant. That doesn't seem to be the problem at all. Um, It's just staying pregnant. And it sounds like those losses are coming pretty early on. So have they indicated, has this all been with like um, your regular OBGYN or have you sought out a specialist yet? Where are you kind of at with, with all of that? Well, I haven't sought out a specialist yet, although okay. I'm leaning that direction the more I'm getting educated about this issue. Um, one of the issues is that we originally were living in Ohio when I had the ectopic and then followed by the miscarriage. So I had a different OBGYN at that point. Okay. I loved him. Um, he was the one who, had, who performed my surgery and everything. And I just really trusted him. And he was um, accommodating and he gave me a lot of information. Didn't leave any of my questions unanswered. Didn't dismiss me at all. I wish I could have just packed him up and taken him with me. But we moved to Alabama, and when I moved here, I didn't really know where to go. It was almost like just scrolling through Google and picking somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the OB that I have here, but I did feel dismissed, and I felt like I wasn't given a lot of information because I asked about what's going on here and what's our next step. Do we go and see a specialist? But she is um, insistent that we are not an anomaly And um, the fact that we have, um, or that I have three living children and that I've had three losses, that's not an anomaly and that it's not time to go that route yet. And that we could still continue trying to, especially also she said, since I can conceive, I can get pregnant. Infertility isn't our problem. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't feel, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. I feel as though it is time to see someone who specializes in this field because I don't think that it's right that a doctor gets to tell you how much you can put your body through mm-hmm. before sure. you can take other measures. You know, if we're saying we have, you know, insurance and we have the financial means to move towards the infertility route, we should be allowed to do that. You know, yeah. because I think that that would enhance our odds instead of continuing to go through this. Because I told, I have told my husband that I don't have many losses left in me. I can't yeah. keep doing it. Yeah, it was interesting that you said that. You know, um, that a doctor decides. You know, what you physically you know, going through and stuff like that. Which it's not all just physical. I mean, just just the emotional part of that and the, your mental state of through all of that is very, very difficult. 
And it's interesting that the doctor, you know, and I don't know this doctor and I don't want to, you know, pass any judgment or anything like that. But I do know from just talking to many, 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 many people through the podcast and outside the podcast through, you know, my, my grief coaching and in all areas that just becoming pregnant does not rule out that you're not fertile, that there's not infertility. Um, It really is the carrying a child to term determines really um, that diagnosis of of being infertile. There are many, many, having all of those losses, like my daughters, they were, you know, weren't getting pregnant and then they did get pregnant, but couldn't hold pregnancies and they were still considered to be struggling with infertility. So because you've not been able to, so it's almost, I guess, with you too, like a secondary infertility because you did have three boys and now it's like a secondary infertility is, is kind of what's coming in, into mind for me. So um, I would be in agreement with you that it's almost time to seek out someone else, um, a specialist or another doctor, but because there's many, many things that could be happening you know, that you're, you're losing those pregnancies, that you're miscarrying those children. So, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, it's hard. Tell me, share with me how you are doing, like, just with all of the, you said physical, it's hard physically. You went through a surgery, mm-hmm. blood transfusions, you know, all of those things, um, medication to, to, um, for the, for your body to actually miscarry. I mean, all of that is really, really hard on your body, but where are you <clears throat> mentally um, with, with grief and just mentally? Like, it, it sounds like you, you want to wait because it's like, how can I, can I do this again? You know, right. your, your well-being is in question here, sounds like. Right. right. I feel like the first two losses. And I think it's so important that people understand that you process the losses differently. And sometimes it's not just from person to person. Sometimes it's from pregnancy to pregnancy. Mm -hmm. For me, I've had to stop being so hard on myself and shaming myself for not being, um, not going through a major grieving period for the first two losses. I'm not sure why that is. I can't explain it but it's okay because that's what I needed to do. That's what worked for me. Um, The first time it was a bit of a distraction because we were so worried about, you know, my life that was in immediate danger. um, And then recovering from the surgery and stuff. um, It was after where we kind of realized, wow, you know, we lost this child and we kind of moved on and and dealt with that, but it wasn't incredibly painful didn't have a big grieving period. Um, the next time it was just so instant. Um, I just found out and we weren't trying and we knew it wasn't the right time. And it just, it happened so quickly. Again, it wasn't very emotional for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want that to be normalized that if you just feel that way, you feel that way and it's okay. Um, the last time, and I don't know why it affected me differently, but the last time was really difficult on me emotionally. 
and mentally in a way that the other two were not. Um, and that was a time where I actually had to have a conversation with my husband because I was having like intrusive thoughts, which I had never experienced before. Um, looking back, I know now that it was um, basically situational depression, um, just from the, a traumatic event, a tragic loss. Um, but I was having thoughts of self-harm that I had never experienced in my life. Hmm. And I wasn't, um, it wasn't intentional. They were intrusive thoughts that were just popping in my brain. And it actually scared me because I'm like, where's this coming from? I've never had these thoughts before. Um, so I actually had to sit down with him and tell him what I was experiencing because it scared me. Yeah. Um, even though I felt in control, I felt like I needed him to know some sort of accountability there. Um, and just for him to look for things and be aware. I feel like that's what, one of the reasons that any type of depression is um, so lethal is because we don't want to talk about it because it's shameful. You don't want to share it with somebody else. Yeah. Um, you don't want to burden them with something. You don't want to sound crazy, um, whatever the situation may be, but we, we stay quiet about it and that's not helpful. I needed somebody else to know that I was having these thoughts, however bizarre they seem to the both of us. And um, just putting that in his hands and knowing that he had my back on it. And, um, and he asked me, you know, are you, do you feel like you're threatened in any way? Do you feel like that we need to get you help? We need to take this a step further. And I said, no, I feel completely in control of it. I don't feel as though, you know, any intervention is needed at this point in time. I just needed you to know that I'm having these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I went through that for, that was really right when it had happened within just the weeks following moving on from there. I was just experiencing, um, depression, just lack of interest in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, just not experiencing much happiness. And I didn't even realize that I was there until, pretty much until I was coming out of it is when I saw how bad it had gotten. Um, and it lasted for several months. It was probably maybe four months or so before I started to come out of it. It was almost like it just snapped my fingers and it just changed one day. Um, but yeah, that was really hard on me. And that was really scary for me because like I said, I just hadn't experienced that before. Sure. Sure. Well, and it sounds like just from everything that I have learned, everything that I've studied, that that was probably really part of uh, a, a gr the grief that you experienced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially with people that are so, um, the plan is to have a child mm -hmm. and that's the focus. And if there's a loss, they won't take a lot of time to focus on that because the plan is still the plan. So then we move to the next loss and then the plan is still the plan. And now we are going to the next pregnancy and then there's a loss. So um, a lot of times then that we get to a point where now we're, we're, we're going back and we may not even be aware of it but all of those losses now are compound on top of each other. And so they will build to a certain point. And then it's like, okay, now you're going to have to deal with all of this and depression, other things can happen. Um, 
that it's like, okay, now it's, now it's time. Now you've, you've pushed this down too long and now it's coming out. Um, so my opinion is that very well could have been kind of what was going on there, that there was some, um, some loss, some for sure loss, the grief with all of those losses. If we've never had those losses, we don't know how, but that what we're we even feeling sometimes that mm. it is grief or it is mourning because it's not something that we feel all the time. It's a new experience. It's a new trauma. So to name what it is, sometimes we have no idea, you know, really what it is. So it takes time sometimes, really a lot of times looking back at it um, and say, oh, yeah, that's probably what it, that very well could have been what it was. And I agree with that completely. Yeah. 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 And Once I'm sure. Was, yeah. It was sort of like, it wasn't that I suppressed those earlier losses and I didn't try to grieve or anything. It was just that, like you said, and I haven't looked at it that way before. It was like, my head was still thinking, but we're still sticking to the plan. We're still moving forward. There's still hope. This has yeah. just happened. And then there were, there were explanations for both of those things. And then when we get to this one and things started to progress the way they were supposed to, it was almost like the reality hit me all at once. Like we actually have a problem here and we may not be able to have a child together. And then it wasn't just the grief. It was, I felt so, I took it all on myself. I felt so (laughs) much shame and guilt. Like it was all my fault, even though we have no idea what our problem is because we haven't you know, been to a specialist and we haven't figured it out. It could very well be my husband. It may not be either one of us, you know, but I, I think it's me. I just automatically think it's me. And so I've carried all of that. And I feel like that in that moment and that after the third loss was when all of that really settled in that something's wrong with me. And I, you know, I'm doing something wrong or I've done something wrong that is causing this. And yeah, I do think it was compounded. Yeah. And I think that that is very um, common for Mm -hmm. women to feel that way. The blame, the shame, um, all of that, we as women will take that on because we are the one that, you know, are made to carry a child, you know, and then when we can't, has to be us you know the problem has to be us because this is what we're supposed to do and now we can't so lots of blame lots of shame you know is very common you know I think a big part of the podcast too is just part of that you know like putting it out there you know Mm -hmm. to people to share all of this so that God forbid something happens to someone else. I mean, we know it will, but we want people to be aware that um, we understand, you know, this has happened Um, and don't, don't beat yourself up so, so badly, you know, um, because it is not in your control. Right. Ever, you know, Um, and that's just really hard. That's just really, really hard for women. But we know we're going to keep spreading the awareness and, and informing and educating so that hopefully we can ease that for some women. But 
we're just built that way that I feel like with mm-hmm. women we're just built that way. we're going to take it on I mean I feel like I can preach it I can preach it I can I can say it I can say it and I know myself you know there's things that happen and of course I'm older so you know I'm not going to have a miscarriage or whatever but just in general you know mm-hmm. if there's things that I can't control um you know, with, with whatever, then it's my fault. And I, and I take that on. If we as women, we just take it all on. Um, we just need to be better um, with our self-care and our self-talk, what I call our itty bitty shitty committee that keeps talking mm-hmm. in our head and, and bringing us down um, just to continue to do all of those things to, um, to wash that stuff out of our, out of our minds um, because it, it's, it doesn't benefit us for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. So with all of the education and stuff that you've um, been through and started to do or whatever, has that been helpful for you um, as you're still, I feel like, you know, you said you kind of about four months and, and things shifted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, have you used some of your knowledge and education to help with that shift or where are you, where are you at now? I would say it benefited me a little bit in recognizing initially what I was dealing with. Uh Even with my education, I was still a little bit in denial, which is interesting, you know, yeah. (laughs) when you, when you know how to (laughs) diagnose depression and you're sitting there saying, but that's not me right now, you know, (laughs) um, but it did help me, like I said, reach out to my husband. I knew what the right thing to do yeah, in that situation good. was because of that. And then I also was able to just determine eventually that it was sort of a situational thing and that it had to um, just play out. Okay. And there wasn't anything I could do to force it one way or another. It was just going to have to, you know, basically run its course. And, um, and that's just an interesting thing. And I don't recommend that for anybody who is experiencing any type of depression, unless they're absolutely certain of where they're at with it. Um, it's a very dangerous thing to work with. And so if you think you need help, you get help. I mean, period. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even, even if you're not, if you're not sure you need to get help, mm-hmm. that's just what it is. And I had no problem if I felt like I had crossed that barrier where I did need help, I would have no problem getting it. Um, it just wasn't to quite to that point. And I could recognize that it was just an attachment to this, you know, loss. And, um, and like, and yeah, there just wasn't a lot I could do to force the situation to improve quicker. I kept telling myself, you just need to get up and do these things that you always do anyways. You just need to find joy in the things that you've always found joy in. You've got to do something. Um, you just have to put one foot in front of the other and do the types of things that you can do naturally to um, help with depression and anxiety. And we know what those things are, get fresh air and exercise and all of those types of things and eat healthy and set small attainable goals, you know, each day and things like that. And I was doing those things and it just hadn't helped yet, but it eventually did. It eventually yeah, pulled me out of that funk. Um, those were the things that I was able to do um, naturally because I knew that it wasn't a, um, to a point where it was diagnosable and I needed to consider medication or anything like that. Yeah. So there are natural ways to help with 
combat depression, especially when it's something situational or seasonal and that kind of thing. And so I did do those things, but um, really I think time in those kinds of situations is what helps the most. Sure. And that's what you really need to have. Sure, sure. And I know just with um, working with people with grief um, in general, um, a lot of times it, it, you know, they really don't, it, there's a time period that there's the really, really raw feelings of grief. Um, and that a lot of times is, you know, could be six months, could be a year. Um, and then, then it's time to, if there's, if it's still going on to really dive into that and uh, yeah. do something more. Um, so when things are very early on, like you said, there's many things that we can do, naturally do ourselves. I do know, though, with grief, allowing us to mourn the loss is really, really important. You know, grief is within. It's what we feel inside. And with mm -hmm. mourning is that outward expression of what we're feeling inside. And so that is so important to allow those tears to happen, to speak of things. Um, and I think one in that respect, when you spoke to your husband, that was really key, I think, you know, mm -hmm. in, in your well-being is to speak that out loud that you were having those thoughts. And so seeking help when those thoughts are coming, you did do that. You know, you didn't necessarily seek professional help and you, and you're, you're right, you may not need that, but to at least tell someone that those thoughts are there is so, so important. So to go back on that, you did seek help and, and that first person, spouse, friend, make sure that you're speaking that to someone so yeah. that they can help you and check on you and, and all of those yeah. things for sure. Um, but I think that outward mourning is really, really important to people, whether it's speaking, whether it is the emotional, the crying, you know, we need to mourn those things and not hold those all within, because when we hold those within, they're going to come out later. So, yeah. So I'm glad that you were able to do that. You know, you're, you have enough um, background in it. So you did really, really, really well with all of that. Um, and so you had indicated that you're going to wait a little bit or not sure yet, still figuring that out. So I will, um, of course, follow up on you with that um, to make sure that, you know, where you're at with that. And it's a personal decision. And I totally get it. I mean, just even myself with the miscarriages that I had and, you know, a daughter that was born with a birth defect after the second miscarriage, I just, and my husband, the same. We just were not in a space to go through um, another loss. Mm -hmm. We just felt like it would have totally broke us. You know, not at a, a marriage, but just broke us really, really hard that we just felt mentally we could not handle um, going through that again. And I think people know what they can handle and what they can't. And for us, um, after that last miscarriage that I had, I, we just couldn't. We, as a couple, we were like, no, we can't do this. 
so, you know, if you decide that, you know, it is a personal thing and, um, you know, still a hard decision, you know, for me, <laughs> and I kind of mm -hmm. relating this because I'm like, oh, she probably wants a little girl, like really, really bad. And I can, can attest to that. I'm like, mm -hmm. I had three girls. I'm like, I would have loved to have had a little boy, you know, so, so badly, but it was like, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And so that's, it plays with you. But, um, We're actually the opposite. I want another boy. My another boy. Daughter. <laughs> it's what I know. It's what I know. I'm a creature of habit. So I'm like, I already know I can parent uh, a son. I'm familiar with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, whatever you would be totally happy with, I'm sure. But we all, yeah, at this know, point, in, in our minds, we, we, we kind of want certain things. Happy with whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the same as when somebody decides, um, like when you're having children and you have to make that decision, are we going to keep having more children or are we done? And you just get to a point where you feel complete and your family feels yeah. complete and you decide you're not going to try to have any more. And I think when it comes to determining how much loss you can take in your infertility journey, you just know yeah. when you can handle more and when you can't and when it's time to throw in the towel and everybody has to you know get to that moment and nobody else gets to decide that for them no you know no. and I feel for myself the deciding factor for me this is what I ask myself each time if we stopped now and we didn't try anymore you know 10 or 15 years down the road am I going to look back and feel like we could have tried harder we still had more options am I going to regret that we stopped and at this particular point, I feel as though I would look back and feel like we didn't complete the process. We didn't go as far as we could because we do still have other options and we would regret it, I believe, yeah. wholeheartedly. So for me, that means it's we're not done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I love that you shared that because it is. It's very, very individual, very individual. Um, you know, um, like I was, we, we, we were done, you know, but that was, that was me, but I do know that there's other people that go through, you know, spoke to a woman that had, it was either eight or nine losses. Wow. And I'm just like, I just know I could not do that, right. you know, but this woman can, so it's very, very individual, um, for sure. And, and I love that you said that because so that the audience knows that it's it's whatever you mentally, physically can do is it's what's important um, that you do for you and your spouse. Make sure there's that communication there. So for sure. Yeah. So the other thing that if um, what would what would you share with people? I know your lost um, are pretty recent. Um, so just any little final tips to help people as a professional that you are to help them go through processing. I mean, you've shared a couple things there. Anything else? I, I think you've started to elaborate or talk a little bit about just all that self-care kind of stuff, um, getting outside and eating. You want to elaborate on that a little more to help people? I think the biggest thing is um, we talk about normalizing grieving and mm -hmm. mourning 
And, um, but I think it's also really important to normalize whatever your response is. Because if your response is no response, or in some cases, for some people, it's relief, you know, you can't really always understand each circumstance, but we shouldn't have guilt about that because it's supposed to look a certain way. It's supposed, you're supposed to be upset. You're supposed to be grieving. You know, people are supposed to be walking on their tiptoes around you because you're fragile and that type of thing. But not everyone feels that way and that's okay. And we shouldn't feel guilt about that or shame about that. Like we don't care. We all have different personality types. Sure. We all process things differently. Yep. And so if someone isn't outwardly grieving, it doesn't mean that they aren't going through it, but they're going through it in their own way. Mm-hmm. And you really got to play off of their social cues about how they want to handle it, you know, and if they want to be open about it or if they want to be private about it, but it all needs to be okay. Because I do know that I felt a tremendous amount of guilt over the first two. And that's probably why I had such a meltdown the third time was because that guilt came crashing down on me that I didn't handle it. And I wasn't as emotional as other people are about it, but I have a really practical mind. And for me, it was just, this didn't work out. I understand what's happened here and we're moving forward. I'm not happy with the result, but I still have options and we're going to still just keep moving forward. And the goal is still the goal. And it was just very clinical for me. Mm-hmm. that's okay. And I shouldn't feel bad about that. No, so no, no. I think um, a big thing is, is allowing yourself to process your loss in whatever way you need to. It doesn't, you can be full of grief and you can mourn for as long as you need to. You can be as upset as you need to be. You can be as fragile as you need to be. Whatever that looks like for you, it all mm-hmm. needs to be okay. And we should not have any shame about our experiences or about our choices as we're going through the process. And that's the first thing. That's probably the most important act of self-care and self-love in that moment. And I think that the other stuff just follows, you know, just taking care of yourself and being self-aware. Am I in a good space? If I'm not in a good space, what steps do I need to take to be in a safe and good space in my mind, physically and otherwise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we know that um, grief really affects us physically. You know, it affects mm-hmm. our brain. We're, we can become very lethargic. We don't want to eat, or we could want to eat everything. Yes. <laughs> Either <Yes>. way. Yes. <laughs> so it affects everyone differently, and it does really affect our physical body. Um, and so a lot of times people are like, well, you need to eat, like you need to sleep, like you need to, and it affects everybody totally different. Um, but making sure that you're aware of those things is really important part of that self-care. But I love that how you said, you know, really that everyone is different and just to be aware of where you're at. Um, and just, you know, I think the biggest self-care is just not taking all of that on and and doing what you feel like society expects you to do like Mm -hmm. you said grieve as long as you want express it any way you want do what is best for you so I think all of that you know we seem to say that over and over but I don't think we can say it enough no yeah I do think we need to communicate um the different ways that 
um, especially now, right now with everything, the, you know, pro-life situation and pro, you know, choice situation, you'll get a lot of, when you have these complicated pregnancies, complicated losses, you have to make a lot of big decisions mm-hmm. and it can weigh really heavily on you. Um, what other people's opinions are, especially since we're seeing it everywhere. I mean, you're bombarded yeah. with it. And I've always been inclined towards pro-life. However, not completely. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm more middle of the road, but I've always had that inclination. Um, but when I was going through this, I mean, I had to make choices that I didn't fully understand until I had went through them myself. Sure. And so with the first one, I mean, I had a family member who told me that I should have died because I should not have had the surgery for a child, a baby that was unviable. Told me that I should have left my children behind motherless. That wow. it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And so obviously that affected me deeply when I just made this decision, because at the time I wasn't even thinking this is a life-saving measure that ends, you know, my baby's life because my baby was unviable and my life was on the line. And I just just did the surgery. I didn't even think twice. Right. Yeah. And then moving forward, I went, um, because my body had a, what they call a missed miscarriage, the baby didn't have a heartbeat, but my body wasn't, you know, pushing the baby out. Um, my body still felt pregnant. And so I had to go get the medication for that, which they call, you know, the abortion pill basically. And there are so many people who have so strong feelings about that, but in my mental state at that time, I was carrying around a baby that wasn't alive anymore. Yeah. Day in and day out. And my body was feeling pregnant, you know, I had all the hormones, I had all the symptoms still, and I'm going through all of that. And I have, I'm carrying around this baby that's no longer living inside of me. That is a terrible feeling. Yeah. And no one gets to tell you how long you have to deal with that. And so um, I do think it's really important for people to be more sensitive about those topics. Um, and I, I know it's not possible, but I just wish in social media p- platforms that people who don't have experience with the topic, or even if they do, that is so hard on someone's mental health when they're going through loss. Mm. And we need to find a way to be strong despite other people's opinions, because that Mm -hmm. is very difficult. And have somebody to talk to about that, because I I really struggled with that. You know, just like I said, I have, you know, throughout my life, consider myself somewhat to be pro-life in certain respects. And so here I am taking the abortion pill and I felt shame picking it up from the pharmacy, you know, and, but it shouldn't be that way. You know, no matter what your feelings are in the situation, you'll be surprised when you're in a certain situation yourself and how you will respond to that. And that's okay too. Yeah. Well, I could see you when you just said that feeling that shame when you picked up that pill, because then you're like, okay, this person we had an encounter knows what that pill is. They don't know my situation. What are they thinking? But, you know, it always goes back to, we don't need to worry about what other people are thinking. We don't need to to worry about us. But yeah, when you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. I can see that happening. You know, that thought process in yourself. Right. Especially when you're wanting a child. You're wanting a child. There's just such a, 
it really messes with your head to do, to have to do something like that. Like leave my personal values historically behind. That had nothing to do with it. Really. It was just, I want this baby. And I didn't, it made me feel terrible that the pharmacy tech who I don't know, and I'll never see again, has no idea who I am now thinks that I was purposely terminating this baby that I wanted. And it just made me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can see that for sure. It's hard. I felt like offering an explanation, but that would have been even more awkward. (laughs) But I felt like I had to defend myself, you know? Well, hopefully, hopefully she didn't think that at all. Hopefully she's trained and knows what that medication is used for besides um, just, uh, you know, an unwanted pregnancy that there are many, many times that those pregnancies and those babies are so wanted. Um, and, and they just are not viable. They, it just will never come to be. So it's interesting that you talked about that. Really interesting. I love that you talked about that because it really was things that I, I haven't really thought about, you know? Um, so thank you for sharing that so that we can help others as they're maybe experiencing that as well. So Mm -hmm. as we conclude, I would love for you to share um, any words of encouragement or insight for the listeners. Now we've shared multiple things. We just shared quite a bit there. Do you want to Mm -hmm. kind of wrap that all up or if there's anything else that you would like to share, I would love to give you the opportunity to do that. Um, I would like to um, just describe, because I really feel like it would have helped, benefited me a lot um, if I had known more about the parallels between um, an ectopic pregnancy and a kidney stone and how those two would be so misdiagnosed, um, especially when that's something you typically kind of diagnose at home on your own. And it almost cost me my life. And I do wish people understood that there are similarities, but there are distinct differences as well. And if I had known or been informed, things could have looked a lot different for me because um, the doctor told my husband when I was in recovery that if I had waited even until that evening, I wouldn't have survived because I had lost so much blood. Um, So it was really, really fortunate that we went when we did, um, or I could have lost my life just by diagnosing something at home. And so I did want to talk about that because I know that's not super common for a lot of people, but it does happen, you know, and um, a lot of people do get kidney stones and they know exactly what it feels like. They know what to expect. And the common thing is, is that you write it out at home and you don't just rush off to a doctor when you have a kidney stone, unless it's your first time, your first time you go to the doctor, (laughs) but after that, you know, just write it out, see if you're going to be able to pass it on your own. But in doing so, I almost cost my life because I was just trying to write it out at home as long as I could. And so many of the symptoms just seemed the same. The pain was in the exact same location as a kidney stone would be when it was coming around the front. Um, I ended up having what felt like it was like I was developing a bladder infection, Mm. which is common with kidney stones. And so um, all of that tracked it came and went at first, like a kidney stone does until it got to a point where it wasn't. And then I'm thinking, oh, I'm just in the thick of it, you know, mm-hmm. and the same tricks that you would normally treat a kidney stone with in terms of um, how you would medicate and use a heating pad and take hot baths and things like that was helping. I mean, it just really mimicked it so much. And so 
if I had known the differences though, then I would have been able to recognize that this was something else. And one of those is the, uh, the shoulder pain that you get um, when you have an ectopic pregnancy, if there is bleeding of any kind, if it's bleeding on a particular nerve, you'll get shoulder pain up into your neck. And it's very intense. I mean, it's not something that's like, oh, my shoulder kind of hurts. You won't be able to sleep. You will not be able to lay down. When you lay down, it gets worse, actually. And so I was actually, for a couple of days, um, sleeping, sitting up Indian style with uh, stacks of pillows in my lap and just laying my head on it because I couldn't lay down. This, you would think, would be unusual. But since I just had it in my head what it was, I didn't realize that it was something else. And plus I had already been told that I miscarried. So I didn't connect the dots that this could have anything to do with that. I wasn't thinking ectopic at all. Right. Um, I thought it was completely unrelated. So um, yeah, definitely if there's any chance that you um, could be pregnant or if you've recently experienced a loss and then all of a sudden you're starting to have this really sharp, intense pain um, in your lower abdomen on either side, then look for other signs, you know, before, you know, you start self-diagnosing because that was really dangerous. My husband loves to throw it in my face now. Every time I, I always avoid the hospital. So anytime I'm sick or whatever, and I won't go, he's like, you promised me you'd never do this again, you know? And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you almost die once and they never let you forget it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But yeah, so just looking into those things, because there are just, there's so many parallels in the type of pain that it is. Um, but there's also some differences and you would, so just to be aware that it could feel like that, if it's possible that you're pregnant, you know, because I, like I said, I mean, I lost my left fallopian tube, but you know, it's gone forever. And that's for a woman, just losing any type of your um, female parts. It just makes you feel very incomplete. And it didn't have to be that way. It could have been handled before that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, and don't um, beat yourself off, off over that for not taking finding those symptoms. But it's obvious that even the staff at the hospital didn't yeah, catch that. So it wasn't just you that was confused. It was multiple people that were very confused with your symptoms yeah. and what was going on. So, yeah, but I love that you shared that. So people are aware um, that there's, there is some more. And would you say then to make sure that when you go to the ER or whatever, that you ask them to check for those things? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Moving forward, if I um, could be pregnant or had just lost a baby, um, if I started feeling that pain again, obviously it would have to be on my right side because that's the only sure. thing I have left. But um, if I felt that type of pain, I would absolutely go straight to the hospital and say it could be one or the other, but we need to rule it out and figure out which one it is because. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good information to share. Love that you shared that. Um, so, I don't know if there's anything else that has popped into your mind. But if not, I would love to just conclude and thank you so much for sharing so much good information, so many nuggets of information to help others. And of course, um, I want to extend, you know, that I'm really sorry for the losses that you have experienced and I'm wishing you, you know, success with 
with that child that you want to, to complete your family. So thank you again for coming on and sharing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please consider sharing it. And if you do share it on social media, tag me so that I can personally thank you because I really do appreciate uh, you sharing it. And this really is the best way that we can connect and support others on this journey. And also, if you can take a minute and write a review or comment on this episode or ask a question, those are the ways that I can continue to create valuable and supportive content for you and the other listeners. And of course, if you have not yet connected with me, I would love for you to find me on social media. On Facebook, you can find me at Teresa Werner Reiniger. On Instagram, Teresa Reiniger. And on both Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Living After Grief. If you need support and are feeling alone on your journey, I am here to support you. I am looking forward to being with you again next week. So continue to share your story to help others feel inspired and to give them hope on their journey. Until next week, have a peaceful and blessed week.